That's our confession to you this morning. We are lost without you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So uh, whether the storms rage in our lives and we need saving or whether things are going great and we don't feel like we need anything, may we all be reminded of this one truth that we desperately need you. God, I just, I'm so grateful to be able to gather with my friends here this morning, to be able to sing these songs, uh, worship you, to be able to open your word and, and seek to understand you, to be challenged by what we see there, to be able to give this offering, God, this morning so that your name can go forward through us as a church and receive these gifts, God. Uh, it's just um, a token from our hearts of saying thank you to you for all that you've given us. As we open our, our Bibles now, as we go into the Word and we, we seek to understand you and what you would have for us in this new and improved life, Lord, we just, we just want to lay ourselves out before you, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears uh, to the things that you want us to, to change in our lives. Get me out of the way. I don't want to speak today. Uh, I'd love for you to be our speaker, God. So use my voice and say what you want to say to us. But thanks for being there for us, God. Thanks for providing for us a way through your son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for uh, sending us your Holy Spirit and walking with us through every phase of our lives. May we be reminded that you're always with us. And may we never forget that we desperately need you. I pray these things in the name of your son, the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Turn around, say hi to someone before you sit down. Say hi to someone, have a, and then have a seat. It's great to see you on this rainy weekend. Someone else put, our faith, or put their faith in Jesus Christ here at our church this past week. It was awesome. Yay, God, for that. Lots of great things starting up around our church as uh, school gets going and uh, we get cranking here. Uh, we're almost out of August. Isn't that crazy? The time just flies. But... Uh, if you're new, hi, my name is Mark. It is great to have you. I'm wearing my Mr. Peabody glasses. Anybody remember that from the Bullwinkle show? I'm trying them out. I don't like them. You'll never see them again. All right. Um, but it is great to have you. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me uh, to John chapter 13 as we continue a series that we started last week. We're calling it New and Improved. I know many of you are walking through some of the uh, materials that we've prepared for you in your life groups that are tied to this series. And uh, we're just trying to understand from God how he wants us to live this new life. Last week we talked about uh, being new creations, that the old has passed away and the new has come. We talked about our motivations as new creations. We have a, a got to and a get to. We have a responsibility and a relationship with Christ to serve him uh, because he's our master. But we have this incredible privilege in serving Jesus Christ because of all the great ways uh, that he provides for us through his grace. All right, we're going to continue today uh, talking about uh, another new thing that the Bible talks about. It's called a new commandment. A new commandment. Jesus is sitting at uh, the Passover feast with his friends right before he's about to die the next day. And uh, he says to them, a new commandment I give to you, and I'm going to share it with you as we get going. But I was thinking about commandments this week. There's lots of them in the world, right? Commandments kind of govern how we live. Like you can hardly go anywhere where there isn't a sign that says, you know, do not enter or, or please come here. Like, like I went to a restaurant the other day. It was a really crowded time at the diner I like to go uh, to. And, and so at the front, not usually during the week, but on the weekends, they put this big sign. It's the first thing. It, I mean, you almost have to walk into it to get into the diner. And it says, please wait to be seated. And some of the, you know, the, uh, the usuals, the, the, the regulars, they don't think that pertains to them. And it creates all kinds of consternation. 
Uh, when you know, people just kind of walk past the please wait to be seated sign to their favorite booth as there's a whole line of folks waiting for that booth. Can everybody, has anybody been there? Yeah, no one likes a line cutter, especially when we're hungry. I've been in other restaurants, and uh, I'm, I'm notorious for doing this, but uh, if you have a restaurant where you order kind of at the counter, uh, there's a, a place where you're supposed to order. Usually there's a sign over it that says, order here, right? And then down at the other end of the counter, there's a place where you pick up your order, and it says what? Pick up here. I don't know what it is. I go to that end more often than not, and, uh, and I have to be told by the, you know, the sweet people at that restaurant, hey, we got, we got commandments that govern how we do this. And when you step outside of the commandments or you step out of the side of the, 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 the rules that govern society, uh, things go terribly wrong. Like uh, we'll leave here this morning and we'll be driving down the road and there'll be uh, white signs with numbers on them. What do those numbers signify? Speed limits. If you go over those numbers and there happens to be one of our friendly officers in the region, uh, they might pull you over. Uh, kind of like your pastor got pulled over on the way to his high school reunion last year or last week or whatever, last month. Um, I got distracted in the, in the roads of northern Maine where there's nothing, moose, that's it, there's just moose up there, uh, and, uh, and so I had to be reminded that there are speed limits even in Maine. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, uh, there's, there's, I said earlier, there's, there's signs that say do not enter. I was, I was driving in Tampa one of the first years that I lived here, and I forgot that there's all these, well, I didn't know, actually, I didn't have the knowledge to forget, but I, I didn't know there were so many one-way streets down in Tampa, and Eleanor and I were talking, not paying really a good attention, and I turned right down the wrong way on a one-way street, and of course, the first car that I see is a t- Tampa, you know, city police officer, and... Uh, and I just started wildly, you know, gesturing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what's going on. I'm an idiot. I'm new to Tampa. And uh, this guy was so gracious. Uh, he just kind of let me pull the UE and head back to where I was going, and I didn't get pulled over that day. But, but if, you know, if we go down the wrong, wrong way on a one way, and if we controvert the commandments of life, things go awry. Commandments were God idea, God's idea. He, he actually started everything uh, with a series of commandments. If you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, uh, he creates by saying, let there be light. Uh, let there, you know, the, the, the waters ex, uh, you know, separate from the, from the light. And there's, there's all these commandments. It's a series. It's, it's six days of God saying, let there. And the commandments caused our creation. He creates mankind. Uh, the man and the woman are put in the garden to tend it and to keep it, and he, he basically gives them two commandments. The first one is, go forth, uh, be fruitful and multiply, make more of y'all, right? And, uh, and uh, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. He says, you guys are in charge. You're the top of the food chain. Just, you know, take care of what I've created for you. That was the first commandment. The second commandment came when he put a couple different trees in the garden. He says, listen, you can eat of all these trees, but there's this one tree, the knowledge of the uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and from this tree you shall not eat. He created choice. He created volition because he wanted us to choose to love him. Uh, if you know the story of Scripture, man chose him not. And because uh, we went against the command of God, uh, we got kicked out of the garden. There was consequences that came as a result of us not living by the commands. A little bit later in our story, a guy named Abraham comes along. God says, I'm going to use you, your descendants, uh, to bring good news to the world. And so uh, the Jewish nation was born. The Jews uh, went into captivity in Egypt. And this guy named Moses, heard of him? And Moses is the guy that God used to get them out of Egypt. And uh, you can read that story in the book of Exodus. But around Exodus 20, God says, you know what? I've got to give these guys a refresher. They've been 400 years 
living in Egypt. They hadn't really understood who God is or what his hopes are for them. And so he says, hey, guys, I'm going to give it to you in a list of ten, the big ten. I'm going to give you the ten what? Commandments. These are going to be the rules that govern your life. There were other rules that came in different revelations uh, during God's working through the, the Jews. But then the Jews got really good at making rules on top of rules. Did you know that about the Jewish faith? Like, like, like when, when everything was finished around the first century, there was about 613 different rules. Uh, some of them legit. Many of them just created so that those who had or who were able to keep those rules could kind of see themselves as a little bit higher than everybody else. Uh, but commandments have always been a part of God's work in us. So it's no wonder when Jesus comes along in the Gospels, everybody wants to know what he thinks about the, the greatest commandment. In fact, that's one of the teachers of the law. I asked him one day, he says, hey, say, uh, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, what, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quickly quoted Deuteronomy to this guy. He said, hey, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as you love yourselves. And then he, he gave him some bonus material. It's like a CD that kind of had these extra tracks. He's like, and by the way, all the other commandments are rolled into this one. If you can keep this commandment, you'll keep all the other commandments as a result. Everybody walked away and was like, wow, love. Love is the greatest commandment. It's a big deal. It's what all the other commandments stem from and lead to. Love is the commandment that beats them all. So Jesus goes on with his life, teaches us lots of amazing things. Read your Bible, it's all in there. But he gets to this last supper, this Passover meal. And he's just done washing the disciples' feet. We'll talk about that a little bit later. He's, he's actually uh, told Judas, who was going to be his betrayer, to go and do what he's got to do. And in John's account of this story, he, he gets to this next part where he's going to say a lot of things before they head out to the garden for him to pray, and, and there Judas will betray him. But, but during his time here at this, this feast, he gives us some of the most incredible teaching. And in the beginning of his teachings to us, he, he says this. In chapter 13 of John, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This wasn't new territory for these disciples that were hanging out with them that night. In fact, some of them might have been kind of snarky and thought to themselves, this isn't a new commandment. This is exactly the same commandment that he has been sharing with us throughout our three years or so together. What does he mean when he says that this is a new commandment? Well, I want to kind of examine that for us because for us to live out this commandment right now, we have to understand it through these verses and what Jesus' expectations for us are in loving each other in this greatest command that he, we have been given. So what's, this, what's so new about this new commandment? Well, the first thing we're going to see is that this commandment is unlike the original commandment that was given to love because this commandment says that we have to love all the one another's, even the ones that aren't like you. Would it surprise you to know that the, the Jewish race was one of the most ethnocentric races ever? And at the time of Jesus saying these things, they, they were known not for who they included amongst them, 
They were known for who they excluded. In fact, their temple had different courts. Those that, that were set apart for uh, the men and, and certain women, or not certain women, all women, were not allowed to go past a certain line in the temple courts. There was a court for the Gentiles, so they were kind of inclusive, but certainly uh, there was a line that if you crossed it and you were Gentile, you would be cast out of the temple. They were very compartmentalized, very segregated, very limited in their understanding of who they should love. But Jesus comes along and he says, hey, y'all, Verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. In the context of the church, in the context of the greater world, I want you to love one another. Here's what Jesus did. He came uh, to, a, to a nation that had thought that they were special, and that they were God's chosen, and he says, you know what? Everybody's God's chosen. He tells parables of how, you know, he had this big wedding feast for, uh, you know, a, a man had a wedding feast for his son and he ordered, or he, he asked all of the, the close-ins and all the people that you would expect to come to the wedding feast to come, but then they all rejected the invitation. He was referring to the Jews and he said, so you know what he did? He went out to the highways and the byways and he asked all these people who would know, no one would expect them to be asked to come to a wedding. They didn't have the right clothes, they weren't the right, uh, you know, pedigree, but they all came. And Jesus was saying, listen, that's how it's going to be, y'all, get used to it. We're opening the gates, and everybody is welcome. Paul said it this way. He says, in the body of Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Everybody's welcome. We are all one, he says, in Christ Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, y'all, I know it's easy to love the ones that you love. I know it's easy to love the ones that you like. And I know it's really easy or equally easy to love the ones who are like you. But I want you to know, in my kingdom, if you are going to follow me, you gotta love all y'all. You gotta love all the one another's. You see, the Jews had grown up uh, reading Leviticus in their Old Testaments and they had said, or it says things like this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Their understanding was within our tribe. He says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when they thought of neighbors, uh, they thought of my Jewish neighbors. But Jesus was saying, no, everybody gets a taste. Everybody deserves the love. And we understand. Listen, in our culture, people stick with their people, right? Like, uh, it, it's, it's not often, maybe never, that if you like pull up at a stoplight next to a whole bunch of guys who are on bikes, they look a certain way. And I'm not labeling, I'm just saying that's how they look. They like to wear their leather because it's practical. If you fall off a bike, you should have something between you and the ground, right? But they also have their style. You know, uh, uh, they got patches on their leather jackets. They got big boots. They got, and, and I've, I've never seen like uh, a guy riding on the front of his bike and his lady's on the back and she's all dressed up for like going to a wedding or something like that. She almost always looks just like he does, just the female version, are you with me? It's because they got a uniform. And, and guess what? Bikers, and I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on bikers, I love bikers, but bikers usually go hang out with other bikers. And they, 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 they talk about bikes, and they build their bikes, and fix their bikes, and bike, 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 right? You know, we're heading into football season. People are going to start wearing jerseys around here on Sundays because their team's playing. And they're going to show to everybody, I'm with this team, the Bucks or whoever's playing them. And, and people, listen, I, I've been in sporting venues, like I was just recently in Fenway Park in Boston. I'm not from there. I mean, I, I used to live there, but I'm not from there now. I was sitting next to total strangers, but because I was wearing a B on my hat, I was their best friend. 
right? Why? Because we got a team in common. We love hanging out with the people who are like us. We look for them. But the body of Christ is a melting pot. There's all kind. Look around. Don't look anybody in the eye because that's weird. But look around. <laughs> We're all different. Different ages. Different backgrounds. Different IQs. Different careers. Different tax brackets. Different ethnicities. Wish we had more. But we're different, and we have this one thing in common, the saving grace of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's all we need. Should be all we need, but sometimes, even in the church, oh, we can get all divided, all set on just finding the people who are like me instead of loving the people who aren't. You know what this means? You've got you to love people that you disagree with. I don't know if you heard me. <clears throat> you gotta love people you disagree with, politically. Yeah, everybody take a deep breath on that one, right? Theologically, had a spirited discussion with a guy, I don't know if you're here this morning, but if you came back, I hope, I hope you did. Glad to see you, but he doesn't agree with me on a certain point theologically, and uh, uh, he was very passionate about what he was you know, saying in, in this particular area, and um, uh, I disagree with you still if you're here. But here's the deal. You know what, brother? I love you. Because we got Jesus in common. And when we get to heaven, we're going to find out who was right. And if you were right, I'll tell you you were right. But you know what I'll be most focused on? I will center around the fact that we were both amazingly saved by the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Because that's what matters. That we have him in common. I was in India recently this past summer and um, I was just reminded again of just how Christ is a unifier. I'm in a culture where I don't, I mean they speak English as well, but, but we would get with uh, Indian pastors who were coming in for training and, and they, they would you know, uh, do a lot of the teaching in English, but then they would do all of their singing in, in Hindi. And I don't know Indi, any, Indi, Hindi, any, any Hindi. I don't speak the Indian language, right? Uh, but these guys would start singing and clapping and rejoicing. You know, uh, they, are, they are a persecuted bunch in that country. They are, the Christians are by far the religious minority. Uh, them being pastors is, is just, by definition, struggle. But here they come to a time where they're together and the body of Christ has been gathered by these, you know, uh, these 40 or 50 pastors that we're training, and they're singing their brains out. Because this isn't you know, necessarily a normal occurrence for them. And I don't know the words. They don't even put them on the screens. They know all the songs and they just sing, blah, 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 you know, whatever the words are. <clears throat> but I can't tell you how blessed I was to be in the midst of brothers and sisters uh, who were from a different culture but had the same Jesus. I even got to the point where I, I didn't know what I was saying, but I tried to sing the words that I thought they were saying. I was trusting that they were good. I was trusting that they were right. But, uh, but I just let myself go. And even though I didn't know the language I was speaking in, I just worshiped God with them, rejoiced with them. And even though they're a world apart, I've only seen them uh, you know, for that one week. Maybe I'll never see them again. I pray I get to. Uh, we have this common bond in Jesus Christ our Lord.
guy I was reading this week uh, put it this way. If I'm not being eloquent enough, I think this is pretty good. He says, unlike other associations which are based upon common interest or outlook, the church is to be marked by an inclusiveness which echoes the universal appeal of Jesus. The church is designated as a community which welcomes all people, irrespective of background, age, gender, color. He's English. He's putting the U in there. Uh, Moral history, social status, uh, influence, intelligence, religious background, or the lack of it. Everybody get that? That door just swung open wide. He goes on and he says this. He says, to love like Jesus is to love, and these are my favorite words in the whole quote, inclusively, indiscriminately, and universally. When that kind of love flows within a congregation, the world will take note that they have been with Jesus. And that's my hope, my aim for us as a church, that this would be a loving place. I hope when you come here, uh, you feel the love from those who are around you, but that you will extend that love, that you'll find the places uh, where God is leading you. I've, I feel like he makes love appointments. Don't, don't you? That like there's certain instances where you run into somebody and they, you, you ask them, hey, how's your day going? And they're not quick with a fine, great, dandy. They're kind of slow. And they say something like, eh, it's okay. That's your cue. Even if you don't know them, oh, tell me about that. Well, I don't want to bother you. We're in between services. You got to get to where you're serving. No, no, no. Share. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. That's why we had gathering life groups for those moments to have a place to live, for, for us to be able to love each other. Even if we're different from each other, the love that Christ has given us needs to be extended through us. That's the first thing. What's so new about this new commandment? Jesus says you've got to love one another, everybody, all y'all. The second thing he says is that you got to love like me. Jesus says you got to love like Jesus loves. Love like I love. That's what he says in the second part of verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love another. Hey, did everybody see that bar go way up? It just went up through the roof. Because here's our love. Our love is usually, not always, but usually a convenient love. Like, can I fit the loving things that I'm supposed to do for someone into my schedule? Uh, Is it going to benefit me? A lot of times our love can be a selfish love. Is it going to make me look good? Is it going to make me feel good? That's what our love is, but Jesus says, no, that's not what we're doing anymore. If you're going to follow me, you're going to love like me. Love like I love, Jesus says. What does it look like to love like Jesus loves? Well, let's talk about that. Uh, you need to love, first of all, with actions and not just feelings. Uh, there's, there's no like, uh, you know, star on your name, uh, next to your name for good intent when it comes to love. Uh, you, you don't get points for understanding agape love and the love that Jesus wants us to have for people. That's great, it's a good start, but it's got to go beyond something that we understand, something that we intend, and something that we feel, and it's got to be something that we do. DC Talks, this old Christian band, they sang a song called Love is a Verb. And it's true. Love is active. It's meant to be shown, not just thought and felt, but experienced. Jesus, a little bit later in his discussion here at this Passover meal, he gets with his friends and he says, this is my commandment that you love one another. And they're like, yeah, we got that earlier. 
just as I have loved you. Yeah, heard you. And then he gives them an example, an example that he's about to show personally for them. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, listen, it's great that you would be willing to, but the act of actually doing whatever you intend or your heart feels, that the act of doing that is where the greatest love resides. I used to, as a young husband, come home and tell Eleanor all of the things that I thought about doing for her that day. Hey, honey, I drove past the flower shop again. And I saw the flowers there in the window, and I thought, I know she loves flowers. It would be so great if I got her some flowers. But then the light changed, and it was a hard UE, and I was in the wrong lane. And so I just kept driving to feed my face wherever I was headed. But uh, I want you to know, babe, I thought of you today, and I almost bought you some flowers. And she was a gracious young wife, and she would say, the first couple times I said that to her, she was like, oh, that's so nice. So I did it again. (laughs) Hey, babe, almost bought you flowers again today. Pat my head, right? Third or fourth time I said that to her, she just kind of looked at me as Eleanor uh, is wont to do, and she's like, babe, buy me the flowers. (laughs) I want to hear about you wanting to. I want you to hear about your intent to. I want... I want to see some roses. Well, she doesn't like roses, but I want to see some flowers in a vase because it's great for you to talk about it. It'd be better for you to do it. And I think we're really great at talking about love. In fact, that's one of the dangers I've, I feel when I speak about such a common subject like this in, in the scriptures. It's all over. I mean, every page almost, it, it talks about us loving God and loving others. And it, it just kind of becomes like the hum in the background of our Christian life. You know, we know we're supposed to do it, and, and, and many of us mentally understand it, and, and we may even feel it, you know. Like we have genuinely, you know, felt compassion for other people. But for some reason, Christians are great at having the knowledge and the feelings and just stopping there. And I don't want this to be another one of those sermons. I want you to understand, Jesus says, love like I love. And Jesus was the personification of love. He was the active giver of love everywhere he went. That's how he wants us to be. What's love look like? I'm grateful for the marriage passage. I call it the marriage passage because it's almost always read at Christian weddings. It goes way beyond marriage. It helps us understand how love should look, what, what our actions should be when it comes to love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says that love is patient. Here's what that means. When the people around you are making you crazy, you hold your tongue. That's an action. You not going off is you actively loving someone. Love is kind. When you're around people uh, who are hurting, you give of yourself. You sacrifice of yourself. That's love in action. Love does not envy or boast. It's not set on getting what someone else has. It's not set on letting someone else know how great I am. Those are actions, choices that we have to make. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't hold grudges. That's what that means. Love gets over things. Love chooses to forgive. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. You know, pure love, true love, is not excited when other people fail. American love, well, we love watching reality TV shows. Why? I mean, some of them, you know, people are building things and they're making cakes or something like that. But a lot of them, we're just watching horrible people be horrible. You know why people love that stuff? Because they feel better about themselves as a result. 
And they could love the failures of other people for the how that makes them feel better about them. That's not what we're into, church. We're into loving the truth. We're into loving the, the things that are going to promote Christ-likeness in us and in others. Paul finishes, he says, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, and love endures all things. And love never ends. And these, listen, these are all active choices that you and I must do in extending love to one another. You know, I, I, as I read through this list, if you can go back through those verses real quick, can everybody see Jesus in these things? Anybody read the story of Jesus? Anybody remember a time when Jesus was patient? How about always, right? And the Son of God is, you know, even his disciples, you know, I kind of picture, picture them as like the three stooges, you know, they're all kind of bonk, bonk, you know, or whatever, and, and they're just constantly messing up, and Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth, and Jesus is constantly again and again and says, oh, fellas, you don't get it. And he patiently teaches again, was Jesus kind? Yeah, he healed hundreds, thousands. He fed, you know, he, he made lunch for everybody out of, out of some kid's, you know, lunchbox. That was pretty kind. Was uh, Jesus envious? No. Was he boastful? Could have been. Hey, if I was the son of God, I'd come down and I'd be like, yo, son of God, what's up, everybody? Y'all back up. But Jesus never thought it was the right time to boast. He was humble even to death on a cross. I mean, I could go through all those, but, but Jesus personifies love. He is all those things. And he, listen, he is our template, our example on how we are to actively love one another. How else does loving like Jesus look? Well, it means loving sacrificially. We need to love sacrificially and put others ahead of ourselves. I love the beginning of the book of John's chapter 13 because it's where we get the great story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It says in verse one there in that same chapter, now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John uh, poetically sets up his story by saying this is a love story. Jesus has has loved those that have followed him all the way up until now, and he's going to continue to love them, even to his bitter end on the cross. But with the few hours that he has left with these guys before he dies, he shows them one more time how love's supposed to look. It says in verse 2 that during the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, that's another part of the story, uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given, this is, you got to get this verse, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, so Jesus is the owner of all things. Everybody get that? And that he had come from God. Jesus, Jesus knew in, in, his, in his deity and his humanity that, that he was the son of God. Uh, he, was, he was Trinity. He was God himself. And that he was eventually going to go back to God and prepare a place for us. Having all that knowledge, having all that power, being God himself, the next verse now rings a little louder. It says that he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel and he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I don't know if you've ever like just sat and pondered that scene, but God himself stripped himself naked. See, here's what was happening in the Passover. They would usually 
uh, as part of their custom. Uh, uh, well, they would lay with their feet in front of each other's faces. They would kind of lay on their sides, and it's not like in the picture, you know, that we have, uh, you know, they're not on the same side of the table, you know. Anyway, um, but they would lay there, and, and so they'd be, you know, walking around in Birkenstocks all day, and their feet would get really nasty, and, and so uh, someone would be employed, a Gentile actually would be employed to wash these uh, Jewish uh, uh, Passover participants' feet because no, you know, pure Jew would actually, you know, dirty themselves before the Passover by washing somebody else's feet. So they'd forgotten this. They'd forgotten to hire someone to come in and wash the Tootsies. And, and so I can just picture it. I mean, uh, these guys argued about everything, these 12. And so they were probably arguing about who's going to wash the feet. I mean, we've got to wash our feet. It's not like we're going to stick and, you know, feet in each other's faces and eat this meal. Uh, and so they're probably all arguing about who's going to do it. And then Jesus stands up and he walks over to the corner where the slaves, you know, or the, the servants, uh, you know, materials would be. And he just does it. And don't miss the, the symbolism here. Uh, it says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself. What a picture of emptying yourself. To, to actually disrobe, take all your clothes off and put on a servant's garment. I mean, what symbolism, right? And then what's he do? He washes feet. What did Jesus come to do on the cross? He came to wash away the sins of the world. He's like, in one act, I'm showing you my mission. I'm here to wash sins away. I'm here to be your servant, and I'm here to show you what love looks like. When you do it right, it's sacrificial. It sets self aside. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that uh, has so many examples of this. So many of you understand this. I want us all to be varsity at this. I want us all to ascend to levels of sacrificial love that would just make us uh, a church that people would just walk into and be like, there is something different here. Because it's not a bunch of people just kind of grading services. Music, yeah, that was pretty good. Pastor, he was off today. It, it's, it's I'm here to make a difference and to be used by God to show the love of Christ sacrificially to those in the world. My son Ben uh, was a junior hire, and uh, he uh, uh, went to a, a, an event, a New Horizons group home. It's a group home for uh, uh, adult mentally uh, challenged and physically challenged adults uh, that live there. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they, they have their jobs, and they, they live in community over there, but uh, um, it was just an opportunity for Ben and, and my wife Eleanor to go over and serve and do a craft, kind of a craft night with them. And Ben met this guy, Sean. And Sean was, I don't know, in his late 20s at the time. Uh, Sean would, well, was not really able to have uh, a normal conversation with people. His mental deficiencies prohibited that. But he loved maps. That was his thing. And so uh, Ben just somehow struck up a conversation with this guy, Sean. And Sean decided that Ben was worthy of the map show. And he took him to his, his place where he keeps all his maps, and he showed him all his maps. And that started this, this friendship that Ben and Sean uh, had. So Ben, 12, 13, 14 years old, here's what he starts doing. Every Saturday, almost every Saturday of those years, uh, he would spend a couple hours hanging out with Sean. Not because his parents told him to. Not because, uh, you know, uh, he was getting, like, paid. But just because his heart went out to this guy. And he became this, this, this light in Sean's life. We took Sean's, uh, you know, Sean to birthdays and had Olive Garden. He, he loves breadsticks. He would just plow through the breadsticks. And, uh, and we got to know him during that period of our time as a family. Uh, and it was all because my kid was setting 
an example of what it is to sacrificially and humbly love, to step outside of yourself and to do what you want. Now listen, my kid isn't really following Jesus right now. And, and what I hope for him is that someday, I might even bring Sean to where he's living, but, uh, um, but someday he would make that connection that Christ is in me and the love of Christ is meant to flow from me. I've seen it in him. And I pray that I get to see it in all of us as we serve him together at this church. The last thing I want to share with you before I let you go is what happens when we live out this new commandment. It's just one more verse, and it says uh, uh, that our, our love for one another proves our faith in Christ. In the next verse, in John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Anybody heard that one before? If you haven't, there it is. It's true. We got all these identifiers about uh, you know, us being in Christ. We got all these these you know, modern ways to let people know that we're Christian. Like if you have a, a, bill, you know, a, a logo for your company, sometimes you'll take the T and maybe the word uh, integrity and you'll make the T a cross. You're like, oh, Christian. Our favorite way is to put the fish on stuff, right? If you haven't seen the Christian fish, it's, it's actually an ancient you know, way of identifying yourself as a Christian back when it wasn't safe to. And so we've kind of adopted that in modern times and put that fish, that little you know, fish on the back of things and everybody will know we're Christian. We drive our cars, we've got Baylife uh, bumper stickers on them. If you don't, get one. They're out there at the back. Please have one. They really help people get here. I've met people tons uh, who come and say, well, the first time I heard about your, uh, uh, your church, someone you know, cut me off in traffic, and uh, um, <laughs> I figured it was you know, my kind of church because I drive aggressively as well. So, uh, no, but we got bumper stickers, and, and you know, uh, we got, oh, oh, now we got, our, we got crosses hanging around our neck, which is kind of weird because that's, a, you know, basically like having an electric chair hanging around your neck. That's how they killed people back then. But it's our emblem. It's our symbol. And we tattoo it on our bodies, and we got Hebrew and Greek. You're really cool if you got, like, something in Hebrew or Greek on you. And you might not even know what it says. It's, it's a, that's a fun thing. Don't ever ask for tattoos in different languages. Tattoo artists can put them on you however they want. It can mean whatever they want. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we got all these signs, T-shirts, right? I mean, all these ways of identifying stuff. You know what our number one identifier as uh, Christians is? You know what it is? It's biblical. It's love. It's not tattoos and necklaces and bumper stickers and T-shirts. It's love. The body of Christ is meant to be the purveyor of God's love everywhere it goes. In such a way that when people see you, they're going to be like, oh, that's a Christian. Unfortunately, in the world we live in, that's not what people see a lot of times. Their impression of Christians is not love. It's separation and lack of intelligence and whatever else we're portrayed as in the media or whatever else we deserve by reputation in our lives with these people. But you know what? Jesus says, hey, they're going to know that you're Christians by love. He goes on later, uh, John writes in his first epistle, he says this in chapter 4, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. He's, he's essentially saying, listen, we can't show people pictures of God. Like I know everybody loves the one where he's leaning down to Adam and they're touching fingers, you know, like wonder twin powers or something like that, but... That's not what God, he's not a big, you know, big dude with a white beard, all right? No one has seen God. No one can see God. See God. He's just too holy and too amazing. But they can see what God is like. How? 
through us if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In fact, if love doesn't abide in us, uh, Paul in that same chapter I read earlier, uh, he says, you know, everything else we do in the faith is just kind of rendered useless. Like he says, if, 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 Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but I have not love, I'm just a noisemaker. He goes on and he says, verse two, if, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all ministries or mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith and I, I'm, I'm able to, by faith, remove mountains and cast them into the sea like Jesus has taught, but, uh, but, but I don't have love, he, he, says, he says, listen, I'm not just like not doing well. I'm not just kind of like sub-Christian or not as good a Christian as I could be. He says, I'm nothing. I don't even register on the scale. If love is absent from me, I'm absent in the Christ life. He goes on, he finishes in verse three. He says, if I give away all that I have, which we would all come in and say, wow, that's amazing. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, wow, he's just willing. He, he doesn't even care about his life. He says, but I have not love. He says, listen, those things gain me nothing. Everybody picking up what your pastor's putting down? We need to love each other. We need to love each other regardless of our likenesses. We need to love each other like Jesus loves. Actively, sacrificially, constantly, universally. Back in the 60s, uh, Christians started writing their own kind of songs to uh, worship by that were outside the hymn book, and one of them uh, we're going to sing as we close today. It's a song that... uh, uh, well, I sang growing up at uh, campfires at the ca- camps that I went to. It's kind of in the minor chord, so it's not this big peppy thing that we're going to run out of here on, but uh, it does say what we're talking about. It goes like this. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's the truth. Stand and sing it with me. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that all unity may one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, that this wouldn't just be another sermon that we heard about love, that we would understand that this is the new commandment that you've given us. It's not to love like we like to love. It's not to just love the ones that we are like. It's it's to love like you love, Jesus, to love everybody despite our differences, to love actively and sacrificially. God, give us the courage to go beyond just thinking love and feeling love, to, to do in love and show in love so that this place changes, so that the world outside of us looks at us and says, that's what it is to follow Christ. Give us that grace today and teach us to love, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.